Welcome back, friends, to another edition of The Mark Claire Show. Start your Mondays right with me, Mark Claire, where I do my best anyway to have an interesting, thought-provoking conversation every single week. I'm pretty sure we accomplished that today with my friend Bird from Timeline Earth. Before I get to him, I got to get to this right here if you're watching the video, Fox and Sons. Fox and Sons is almost entirely responsible for the show. Not only are they the sponsors of the show from day one, but the caffeine that I get every day from my Fox and Sons literally gives me the energy to do this show. Let me tell you, if you like coffee, you got to stop what you're doing. I don't know where you're getting your coffee. I hope you're not getting these Folgers crystals I've been hearing about. I'd be careful about those. I hope you, to God you're not spending five, six bucks at Starbucks every single day because all you got to do is go to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com, pick out a bag, pick out a couple bags, try a Tanzanian pea berry. It's pretty good. Brazilian honey prep. Sounds sweet. It's not sweet. It's amazing. Den Blend Dark. That's my chosen bean, but I've tried a bunch of them. They're all fantastic. You're going to love them. If you like coffee, you're going to love Fox and Sons. So head over to foxandsons.com and I want you to use this discount code. It is MCS Mark Claire Show. Use discount code MCS for 18. That's right, my friends. 18% off your order. You can't do better. Enjoy my conversation with Bird from Timeline Earth. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about my anxiety about this. I think that's a good what, place the, to start. What do they call that? A cold open? Yeah. When, it, what when is the show that is called? Just, the shows just go. Yeah. A cold open is when the show has just started and no one really. There's no explanation of what's going on. There's no intro. There's no hey, welcome. It's just. It's just happening. You know. I get so nervous about the part where I get, have to speak for the first time. So you'll do. What's up, everybody? It's Mark. Today we got this guy. This guy. How are you doing? And I have to go, I'm doing great, Mark. And then you have to take a strategic pause and then you have to talk like a normal person. So I've always just right, right, right. preferred to roll into it because that throws me off so much because then for the next 10 minutes, I'm going, you know, somebody on Joe Rogan said their hello exactly like you did. You're a poser. You're a fake. You're a terrible podcaster. I don't All like right. it. So let's roll in. I think that I think we already have. I, I think I think we're already. I think I shouldn't we're even here. point out. I think we shouldn't even talk about the fact that we're on a show anymore. We shouldn't even. We should try to forget it. As, as hard as that is to. Can we I'm, forget? Yeah, let's forget <laughs> it and let's just talk like bros. Let's talk like bros. My bro, bros, Ronaldo. Because I haven't seen you in a while. I still My haven't bro. seen you. Now I only see an we, avatar. We attended a wedding <laughs> yes. a long time ago, <laughs> and now we're here together. Or maybe that was an engagement party. I'm not really sure what that I was. I don't know if it was actually any of those things, but we decided it was. That's what it was. And so we nice had a great time. In and then City. that was it. And, and that now was it. we're back. <laughs> now, now we're here. That's the entire story here. of Mark and Bird in 30 seconds or less. Uh, we have an incredible relationship. It's, it's been blossoming. Let's just put it that way. How has been, how have the winds been treating you there in Miami? I don't like Miami. Okay. That's interesting. That's what I wanted to hear. I actually. loved Miami. I, when I we want you as miserable as possible. Yes. <laughs> I, I've officially off the Miami bandwagon. Really? That fast? How long yeah. has it been? Even a year? You're already f- trying to flap year out of there? and some. Gotta get out of Miami. We gotta go to the sticks. Right. We gotta I go think, somewhere more I rural. think that's the next evolution because I think a lot of people are, are doing the whole let's just move to a red state thing, right? And then that's as far as they think. And then suddenly they show up in a red state, but you're still like, oh, 
you're still in this place and it's weird and there's still people around you and when the shit hits the fan, those people might still kill you and they're still going to go and buy toilet paper when there's a pandemic, no matter where you are, if you're in civilization. I I have to argue with people to buy stuff in Miami. (laughs) I think we should start with stuff. Do you have a a recent fast food experience you could share with us? Because you you always have so many. And I I, I actually do have a recent fast food (laughs) experience. (laughs) All right, let's go into that. It was three nights ago. It was the McDonald's drive-thru. So, this is, I go to two different McDonald's drive-thrus. There's one that's close. There's one that's far. Did you ever the go on one the same that's day? far away. Yes, I have gone on the same day. Because <laughs> one of them salts their fries and the other does not salt their fries. So sometimes you got to hit both to get everything you want to get. <laughs> two, two or three nights ago, it had to, yeah, two or three nights ago. Oh, maybe it was last night. It was the night we recorded TLE. After that, I don't usually cook that day because it's just a lot of work to do the recording. So I don't cook. So I'll go out and get something. And it was McDonald's time. I'll go to either the near or far one. The far one I'll go to and I'll do like accents when I order. Accents <laughs> like all kinds of worldly accents just to practice. The one that's near I'll go to and I try, try to be normal. Well, I'm in the car and I roll up a J. And I go through the drive-thru like I usually do because I want to look cool when I go through the drive-thru. I want to be, you know, hitting the J. You don't want them to think you're just some guy getting dinner. No, I want them them to to know know what's going on here. (laughs) Right. So behind me pulls up a a cop car in the ordering line. So I I freak out and I realize if I go if I leave, they're gonna get me because they're gonna look at me. If I stay in the lane, they're going to see that I've hotboxed the vehicle when I go to open it to speak to the person. So I get it. It's like a skit. So I get up to the... the this is a scary... Um, this is a legitimate scary situation, especially in... It's really in, scary. In the state you're in at that point, it's, it's, especially, it's absolutely Especially when you're not registered. From what I've heard. In the right, state. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I Eventually, I get to the part where I have to order and they're right behind me. And there's, if I open the window, it's going to smell everything like that. So I pull up and the woman goes, like, can you roll down your window? And I chickened out and I, and I sped off because there was nobody in front of me. So I didn't get my food. I knew if I was going to open that window, I was going to jail that night. So I'm foodless. You just I'm sorry got out to of say I didn't get arrested. Yeah, I had to. I had to. What a sad fast food story that ends in no food. But I think you made the right choice. No food. You probably, in reality, would have been fine. But your fear level would have. You wouldn't have been able to eat the food. It would have been a horrible night either way. So it would have been bad. And this is the worst of the two McDonald's anyway. What did you do? Did you just not eat? Did you order something? Did you just you I say went back I, home. it's over? It's over today. It scared the shit out of me, dude. Yeah. yeah. It scared me a lot in the moment because there was, for some reason, I couldn't do anything. I had to kind of pretend it was normal, and it scared the shit out of me. I mean, that's another downside. You're in a place where, uh, I mean, no joke, you can actually still go to jail for that thing. I know. I mean, for real. It's possible. I'm I'm from the streets. That's right. I'm very much from the streets. Ronaldo Ciroc. You don't get registered It's really from the streets. Yeah, no. No, I haven't registered for anything. You don't use your real voice at McDonald's, and you don't register for anything you're going to (laughs) smoke. And that's right. the way. Well, speaking of keeping it real, 
Now, a few weeks ago, I'm just going to set the premise here. A few weeks ago, I saw you tweet out several a picture of several books. I was intrigued um, by this. First of all, I didn't know you were a reader. That's not true. I know you read. Uh, but I, seeing this uh, array of books, they caught my eye. And one of them, well, a few of them stood out. But I, I decided to let you choose which one to talk about today. And by the way, today, this after today, I will have had exactly... 50% of the hosts of Timeline Earth on this podcast. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you. It's me and Paz. I thought you had Aaron on. Not yet. So I need... Um, okay. So what we're going to need is we're going to need Aaron and Carr to... Because I'm only on Twitter. I don't really participate in any other form of media in real life or social at this point. Uh, so no. Aaron and or Carr should, at some point in their lives, tweet something that might catch my eye. Something, something esoteric. Something weird. And then maybe I'll say, hey... You want to come talk about that? That's how this show works. That's how this entire show works. So you did that, and now you're here. Yeah, you wanted me to read. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to 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 read Akhenaten, the Spirit King, or whatever it was called. That was the first. And that was selection. Yeah. It was a novel. It was a fiction novel. Yeah, we don't. And need I that. felt that that wasn't that wasn't good. Instead, we've picked a completely non-fictional novel. We want stuff that's either true or at least that the person writing it really thinks it's true. One of the really thinks it's true. And we'll dissect whether or not we really do think that after all. So now what I'm thinking is we, there were a lot of things that were on the table. We, 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 we had the other book. What was the other book about? Do you have the photo? I'm trying to scroll back. I don't think so. I have our conversation, but I don't think the actual tweet is in the conversation. I don't know which book it was. It had something to do with, uh, druids, I think. Something about druids. I just find that really boring. So we decided we were going to read, I mean, w- many will describe it as the seminal text of the ancient aliens theory of the modern era. That's right. We were going to read Well, Chariots I don't know if it, of the Gods or well, whatever well, yeah, it was well, called. Well, Chariots of the God is, is the seminal it, text. This is, like right. eight, this is like his books, like eight Eight books later, when he's just he's just trying to write more books because he has no other job, he has no other skill except talking about ancient aliens. So he just continued to write books. This one is getting close to, as we'll see. The, the, what's the full title? The Twilight of the Gods. Gotta go all the way. The Mayan the ca- uh, civilization and calendar, or something the like Mayan that. The Mayan calendar and the return of the extraterrestrials. So and he's the really, return of the extraterrestrials. He's really yes. laying it out yeah. here in the title. He's well, telling this is you what, what's happening. So this is this is where I'm at with it. When you, I text you, I'm like, "Oh, we gotta read Chariots of the Gods. This is the seminal text of ancient alien theory." And then I open it up, and the first line is like. Man, I'm so pleased to be bringing you my 25th book. And something clicked there, and I was like, oh, no, this can't be right. This has to be an earlier book than 25. And then I Googled the title. Mark, I couldn't even find a spark notes for this book. There is nobody has read this book other than us. This is And hilarious. I haven't even finished it. This whole time, I thought to myself, it's funny that he's choosing his like 83rd book or something and not not the original. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe he's well-versed in his work. He's re- he's, see- he's seen all the old stuff. He's going to the new stuff here. So you you actually thought you were purchasing Chariot of the Gods, the actual original pretty much ancient alien, modern ancient alien text, whereas you're actually, it is at least the same author and you're on the right track. And he it's has the same author title. and it's the same title and that's on purpose. And to be honest, it's the same book. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the same. That's book. the thing. So we're it's good. the same. It's this is one of those books. He's he, written this he book twenty five times. Yes, he takes pleasure 
in saying that he's written 25 books. And what I suspected this is, is that instead of releasing another edition of the first book, which doesn't count as your 25th book, it's just a different edition, he just writes slightly different titles and picks one aspect of the original book to write slightly more about. Because there's so much in this book that has nothing to do with Mayans. It just takes place in the same place that the Mayans were at one Correct. time in history. It's so I don't know how deep you want to get into this. I went really deep into chapters one through three. There's five chapters total. The fourth chapter deals with the return of the gods, and the fifth chapter is a wrap-up that ties everything together. I didn't even get to chapter four. I have one through three. The first one is about all the mythologies that have aliens and stuff coming down. The second one is about how all of those mythologies that have aliens coming down also have stories about how the aliens built megastructures. The third chapter is about the Mayan calendar. And it doesn't connect the two things that I read beforehand together until the like the last sentence, which is basically this timeline that's given by the Mayan calendar is very accurate. So it has to be extraterrestrial technology. So it was a very, very frustrating read at the high level here because I don't know about you, Mark, but I've watched Ancient Aliens on the I, History I've Channel. I've seen an episode or 50 in my day. I've seen every single one of the episodes and every single episode was a longer version of a chapter of this book, a sub chapter yes. even. So it, and this is not the seminal text. No, this is the newest. This is the, this, this is was the 24th in iteration of the, of the, yeah, it's in 2015. This was written really recently. This book. Hold on a second here. It might even be more recently than that. Was this actually okay? We're this find makes sense. This. It was written in 2010, which is what I thought. So the interesting, well, because you know what he's doing with this. He's in a few years pre prior to the year 2012. There, all the hype started happening because for so long, people like Eric Von Daniken have been talking about mm. the 2012 and the Mayan calendar thing. So there was like there was probably thousands of books written about 2012, the Mayan calendar, the coming apocalypse, yada yada. All the, right. I mean, there was the movie with uh with what's his name. Uh, the guy Ferris, whatever. Mel Gibson. No, but I wish that would have been so much. That would have been incredible. I want to see Mel Gibson uh, battling the uh, the ancient apocalypse as the aliens uh, descend <laughs> upon us. That is what I want to see. You know, you ever Mel see Gibson Battlefield Earth? Because that's kind of what you're asking for, just without Mel. You no, got to watch Battlefield Earth. But what's the one directed by Mel about that is about the Mayans? Apocalypto. Um, that is a movie. That is a movie right that now. Movie, that movie. That's that what we should movie, be reviewing today. If that's not on your top hundred movies. Suspect. Top 100 is being very charitable. Being very, very charitable. Yes. It, I don't want to be too condemning. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's got to be top five, but if it's not in your, yeah, if it's not in your wheelhouse, I think there's, there's questions to be asked for sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, so this is written in 2010. So clearly he's trying to capitalize on the Mayan calendar thing, but it's, it's interesting how, I mean, you didn't miss too much in, in the last couple chapters here. Like you said, he does, he does sort of tie it all in together, but it's really just a lot of reiterating of some things he broke down earlier about the Mayan calendar, but he, he sort of also, cause you know, he's, he's probably thinking a couple things here. He's like, yeah, I want to capitalize on this Mayan thing and their shit was yeah. really accurate, accurate and 2012's coming. So I'm going to say, Hey, maybe they're right. Maybe the gods are coming back in 2012. However, 
He also hedges his bets quite a bit by putting out a bunch of different interpretations of the Mayan calendar, some of which say it's really 2045, some of which say it's really... So that way, even if 2012 passes, as it seemingly did, depending on who you ask, and not much really changed, then Eric Von Daniken can still be here saying, well, I guess it wasn't that one. It was actually maybe one of these other ones. So we're maybe looking at a 2035, 2045 return of the aliens. Yeah, there's a lot of different times that are... You know, I don't mind that as much. I'll tell you why. Maybe he's hedging his bets on the thesis of this book, but he also talks about how the Mayans were doing like genetic engineering and creating hybrid chimeras. He does get into that so quite a bit. Yeah. That's when fun. you, when you, if you hedge on one thing, but you say the other thing, I'm, it still convinces me that he really does believe the whole shtick. And I wanted to, I did want to open up the entire conversation because I really think that the key to understanding this book is the line about the chimeras. Okay, yes. Let us open the entire conversation. His whole thing is that there's stories everywhere, all over the world, about these chimeric beings, right? Indeed. Chimeric beings are basically like they have a donkey's head and they have the toes of a giraffe and they have a <laughs> like human body. Yeah. There's, there's just, it's, uh, it's science experiments, basically. It's Mr. Science Potato Head with every animal part available to you. So this is, the, this is actually chapter three. So I'm getting really into it. But again, I told you chapter three is barely related to the first two. What he's trying to prove here is modern genetic engineering, things, things like uh, uh, trying to get rid of Alzheimer's, trying to get rid of multiple sclerosis, were already being created during the time of the Mayans. And to to evidence this, he talks all about the practices of mummification. He talks about uh, the, the attempts to use clones, human clones, to create, you know, stem cells and livers and all kinds of things that you need. He hypothesizes that the extraterrestrials created many forms of life to seed this planet and that some didn't go very well. And eventually human beings were the last one and that they carry on some of these genetic engineering traditions. What does this have to do with the Mayan calendar? Not a thing. Nothing Not whatsoever. one thing. The entirety of chapter three has nothing to do with the Mayan calendar. But, but it all. is, uh, as you said, maybe the most intriguing part of this book. And especially as uh, someone like yourself coming from uh, arguably the world's foremost uh, cryptid tracking podcast, uh, does, right. this, does this sort of tickle that, that thoughts of all the cryptids you've thought about over the years that encountered in, in you know digital space at least or I don't know if you've had any real life encounters but it, it, it that's that's what immediately came to my mind the idea that so many things went wrong well what of those things that went wrong or some of them are kind of still hanging around in the woods somewhere this is why you're the best in the business because that is exactly <laughs> why I make my the big point. bucks this is why you make the big bucks because it's exactly my point. He, in the middle, in the pivotal section of the book, chapter two and a half is the center of the book. There's five total chapters. Chapter two is also the shortest chapter in the book. You can breeze by it in maybe 30 minutes. It's really quick. And this is a, almost a 300 page book. So he talks about the chimeras and this is the claim that I, that I say is the center of this book. The extraterrestrials were probably only 30 or 40 years ahead of today's geneticists. 
That is a core claim at the very center of the book. When he talks about genetic hybridization, when he talks about hybrid creatures and bringing extinct creatures back to life, mm -hmm. and when he talks about how hybrid organisms uh, and the treatment of them reflect on the societal and legal uh, surroundings of the time. So he's drawing all these parallels and he's talking about the various creatures that human beings end up worshiping. The Apis bull is one, one for instance, that he, he talks about the worship of. And what he's saying, and this is the long way around to this. Well, he, gets the, he takes the long way around years. to everything. Because this long his, way around. His books could be probably a 30-page pamphlet, but he kind of goes mm -hmm. on these little and I, I I'm not even I'm not even arguing this. I actually why what do you think of, of Eric von Daniken's writing style? I would describe it as as gleeful. He seems to really he really enjoys like like loves talking. What he, does. he loves this shit. He loves it. Which loves does what he does. Sort of make me think maybe he is a true believer. He, yes. He's and, just got nothing else when, to talk about. So this is, yes. this is why we get all these books. This is why he's interested. He, 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 uh, he, well, the way he writes, he like, he can't wait to tell you yes. the point, but he never tells you the point. He sort of circles around it. He's like you the meme. Read. He's the real, he's like the, the author version of the meme of like the guy talking to the chick at the bar and going on this whole rant about, all, you know, whatever it may be. That's Eric Von Daniken. And she, yeah, exactly. Yes. That's him, but he didn't have a bar to go to he, or the internet even. He just wrote books and put them out there. So let, let me break it down why I think chapter two is so important because there's a hidden prophecy in here. 30 or 40 years ahead of today's geneticists, right? Uh -huh. He's talking about the worshiping of these creatures, these creations that have been made by science. And he's talking about 30 or 40 years ahead. What he's basically saying is that in the time that the Mayan calendar so predicts the world will end, mm -hmm. our geneticists will also have gotten to the point where they are also creating these creatures of worship. Now, what Danikin doesn't, I'm going to blow your mind here. What Danikin doesn't uh, consider because he's, he's from an era of the analogical. Oh, he's an older guy. He doesn't exactly understand the implications, but there are some ancient religious traditions that talk about virtuality, uh, the concept mm -hmm. not of the physical, but the virtual. You see this a lot in demonology in the Middle Ages. A lot of claims that demons aren't physical, that demons are metaphysical, or that they're rule benders in, in the universe. The, the, what Danikin is talking about is that the worship of these created entities, genetic in his case, but I think it's something a little bit more analogical. Mm -hmm. I think he's predicting that the time of the Mayan calendar's prediction of the end of the world arises when artificial intelligence becomes a source of worship in the general population. 30 or 40 years from now, when there's finally enough knowledge to take human DNA, the true source of knowledge for humankind, and encode it into artificial intelligence, thereby making the creature of worship in the world. This is, he doesn't say this in the book, but read chapter two and tell me that it, that it really comes from nowhere. There's, it, there's a, something in this. You have to read into it. What's there's funny is that, is that that's a far more interesting premise than what he, the, than the connections he <laughs> actually makes in the book. But he, you're right. I mean, he does, 
he doesn't say it that way, but he says it in his own way, which like you said, his own way, he has his mind. He's not in the digital realm. He's only thinking about, you know, taking DNA and splicing them together in this way. But you're only a step away, like you said, from putting that into the digital space. And if you're splicing the DNA, now I'm, now, I mean, if you can splice, now my mind is just racing here because now I'm talking That's about- what I'm saying. We're talking about, because we're already, maybe he's ostensibly in this book, in his mind, he's talking more about the Jurassic Park maybe type stuff. He's talking about right. getting the woolly, which, right. which they're doing also. They're doing it's, the woolly it's mammoth stuff. It's a reflection stuff. of his age. It's yes. just, and, and that kind of illustration that he chooses is a reflection of the fact that he comes from a time when this the, the language wasn't available. And, and for instance, when we go two or 3,000 years in the past, we call that kind of thing mythology, not because it's false, but because it's analogical. It can't speak contextually to us. It can only speak in terms of what it has in that period of time. Von Daniken is doing that 60 or 70 years ago. I don't know how old he is. He's doing that like 40 years ago. I just wrote this book this year, but he's an old guy. He's 88. He was born in 1935 and he is still kicking. He grew up in a different time when Jurassic Park was the height of genetic engineering. And now we are in a time when we understand- That was the height of what you could imagine. You know, that was the height imagine. of science fiction. Even imagine. Now we can talk of virtuality and the metaverse and the creatures created within, which is much- And the reason why I say this is because- what are we actually closer to? Functional chimeras. And I keep in mind, a chimera had a lion's head and a horse body or something like that. And the wings of an eagle. In 40 years, are we going to be able to create that physically? Of course not. They promised us hovercrafts. We'll never get the hovercrafts either. However, the metaverse is proving that we can de-fictionalize these things into mm. experience. And... All the entire story, when they go and they build the bronze serpent that they worship, is that the bronze serpent isn't alive. It's an object of worship. People worship objects. There's no difference in the virtual world. That's what I think he doesn't quite say because he doesn't quite conceptualize. But this is really what he's pointing at is that human beings will return to the point of worshiping these, these creations from the alien world. I just happen to think the medium for that is the virtual world. I, I read a lot of myth, uh, uh, fiction about the subject of people kind of plugging in and they go into that world and they never really come out because why would you? You've heard of the experience machine, I'm sure. In our libertarian times, we, we, we read about Nozick's experience machine. That, this is where he's really at. So anyway... Chapter two, this tiny little chapter for me, is by far the most interesting part of the book. And I don't even think Von Daniken realizes why, but I'm proposing that he come on the show and I repitch the idea. Now that him. I realize he's alive, because I wasn't exactly sure until I did this, because barely I, all my research is done live. Uh, that, of course, why do I have you on the show and not Eric Von Daniken? No, we can do, <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can do both. We can do both. Maybe we I'll can have try. I'll have both of you back on together because I want you to present that theory to him live. I want him to. I want his mind to be blown similarly to how mine was. It's all there except the image itself. He thinks it's physical dinosaurs. I think it's the most beautiful song you've ever heard mm -hmm. that's been extracted from human DNA itself inside of a virtual machine that tells you never to leave it and you never do. That's the only difference. Yeah, and I suppose in this case the the monster isn't necessarily this monster that we worship 
isn't the scary look because who wants to worship the scary looking scorpion creature or whatever it might be? But no, you want to worship a sexy song. Exactly. You want to worship the, the most blissful experience of your life or whatever is granting you that blissful experience. Uh, if that blissful experience, if it's a song for you, if it's 72 virgins or whatever, whatever your best time you can imagine is going to be. And if you, if you get it just by plugging in, why would you ever, why would you even want to come to the real world? I wouldn't. Well, no, maybe this is I actually would. Start, this we'll is starting, have to figure out by the end of the episode. very yeah. appealing to me, to be honest. This yeah, is, unfor- <laughs> yeah, and that's the unfortunate part. That's the unfortunate part. Now, we have to go all the way back to the beginning because, again, as I said, Chapter 2 comes out of nowhere, pops out of nowhere, and then leaves quicker than lightning. I don't know if he reconnects it at the end of the book. I think he probably finds a way to because he seems to wrap up trends that he does. He's not very clear in his writing. He's very... So, He's very like, you know what his point is the whole time. It's never really yeah. a question, but he's very much like, ooh, he's very, it seems like he's sort of seeing shiny objects as he's writing the book. He's like, hold on a second. I can write about this. And he's like, you know what? It's awesome. Chimeras. And he just goes into a chapter. Then he's like, anyway, what was I talking about? My encounter? Yeah. Back to that. Mm-hmm. Very podcast-like. Very yes, podcast-like. Yes. <laughs> he he so wrote in the time, we- in the fashion, the timeline of Earth podcast, I, I would say. He chooses in this book, and again, I didn't, I haven't read Chariots to the Gods, so I really don't know if if he ever gets to this. But he chooses the site of his research to be a place in the jungles of Brazil. Man, that wine has a lot of tannins in it. I can barely. I need to drink some water. Hold on. Uh, okay, the tannins. Bolivia. I'm taking you into the jungles of Bolivia. All right, take me on an audio adventure. Heart. I'm going to close my eyes and picture this. Yeah, so picture the verdant greens, the roping woods and forests. You can hear the... One of those things in there. There's Maybe there's a small monkey jumps past your vision. (laughs) Bolivia. In the heart of Bolivia, there lay a monument. Picture it. Stones of enormous scale. I'm talking 100 tons. The craftsmanship on the stones as you approach the stones is magnificent. Swirling lines and swastikas, hmm, snakes and <laughs> lizards, all kinds of stuff carved in a way, in a, in a form of craftsmanship that is far beyond the possibilities of the surrounding architecture from the same, supposedly, era. I gotta tell you, you, I don't know if we need the metaverse. I just, I can close my eyes and listen to Bird narrate, and I've got, I'm, I'm in the metaverse. I I am, I am here right now. I hit a gong. There's that thing that they always tap. Now you think to yourself, you actually look up at the sky, and you think to yourself, this can't be from here. This place, up on those Bolivian highlands, how did they even get the stones up here? How did they cut them with such precision? Did the people of the place known as Pumapunku have contact with alien gods? Did the ancient Tiwanaku people, which is what they're called, stumble upon a forgotten technology? The whole site, if you Google it, Pumapunku, is covered in a veil of strange mysteries check it out there's cosmic signatures all over the place there's peeling layers while you, while you of, describe of, it i'm gonna actually use technology and i'm gonna I'm can gonna, you throw it up on the screen yeah. throw a puma punku up on the screen throw a little puma punku up this there. place is marvelous 100 ton stones 
horked up the side of a mountain in the jungles of Bolivia. That's how you have to say it to really for it to be convincing. There are many theories, obviously, on how they were moved and how they were placed. And you would think that 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 archaeology is so concerned about how they got up there. It's ridiculous. Here, here's what you need to be concerned with. And you've heard this before if you've ever listened to anything about the pyramids in Egypt. The, the, the technology is there. It's pulleys, levees. That's fine. But what, what doesn't make sense is the craftsmanship on the actual stones. The craftsmanship on the stones. And listen, I'm not a geologist. I don't work with stone. I can't, I can barely, look at this. Look at the craftsmanship on these stones. 100 ton stones, craftsmanship born into the rock. What you see, okay, what you see right there. This is the best we can do. What you see right there, that is a form of craftsmanship that, that both predates its introduction to the region and is nothing like anything in the area even after the introduction of the tradition in Mesoamerica. Why? I can't explain that. I'm not a geologist. But Eric von Daniken says that this guys? craftsmanship is very impressive. Take a look at this one. That's like Stonehenge, but it's on top of a large mountain, 100-ton stones, pulleys, levees. Humans could have done this. But what they couldn't do, Mark, give me that close-up one right there, the hole. Give me the close-up one right there. Is That's that? perfect. Yeah. This is craftsmanship that is unreal. This is un- Are you seeing the unrealness of the craftsmanship? It's wild, man. Because and fucking realize wild. how big that is too. It's this it's gigantic. Yes, you can fit two or three dowries into the center of that hole. You want to see what uh, Eric Von Daniken would call an alien? I would say right there. Now that, honestly. And that's the guy. That looks like the guy from Mexico. <laughs> the alien body from Mexico. That is the guy. Okay, so this brings us to num- the, chapter the two. To keep the, you got to keep this on the screen because no this is absolutely I would key. like to make it even bigger than it is, but I'm not sure how. If you can make it bigger, it'll really sell the point. That would be great. Look at right. this. Look at this image. You got to be watching this on video. You got to. You got to turn off the audio and go watch the video because Mark has pulled up something that should be tucked away in the Vatican Library. Regular people like you and me aren't ready to see this kind of stuff. Well, there you go. You can see it on the screen. I'm going to work on making What it you're seeing on the screen is craftsmanship like you've never seen before. And this time, this leads us to chapters one and two, the related chapters. Chapter one is called A Base Camp for the Gods. Mm-hmm. Okay? A Base Camp for the Gods. Why is it called that? The chapter concerns itself. This is the with, one that I think lines go. right up with the, you know, with the sun. This is the calendar. This is the, so, okay, we're going to get to this one. We're going to get to this one. Firstly, you got to know, and many of us do, that Von Daniken is diving into the Incan culture. This is in Bolivia, in a city that is said to have been constructed overnight by divine beings. There are giant, there's a precise placement of these giant slabs of stone. I'll put it back up in a minute. Incredible stuff. The calendar of Tiwanaku, the stones are the calendar. And it's believed that these stones date back 15,000 years. This is insane. Now, there was a Nazi whose name was Hans Hobiger. That is the most Nazi of Nazi names. That's amazing. Hans Hobiger, 
was a mystic. All right, now it's the, bigger. Look at the size of that thing. Hans Hobigger was a mystic in the in the Nazi, in some sort of Nazi mystical order and posited the cosmic theory of cataclysm which involved celestial bodies clashing into planets ice usually clashing into planets and and just changing the planets forever leading to global cataclysms during the moonless era of the earth's history which this is key here during the moonless era, it was mm -hmm. believed that there were different beings on the earth, ruling the earth. Giants. Giants, okay? There were regular-sized people, but there were giants. So they call the thing that you pulled up before, the thing that looks like Stonehenge, the gateway of the sun. 27,000 years before Christ, it is said to have been placed there and contains within it in a, a calendar that accurately predicts the, the, the length of a year in days, 365.271 something or something like that. Dan, Van Daniken takes the obscure findings at this site and he ties them to Hobigger's theories. Hobigger is working with when the moon uh, was attached to the planet Earth's orbit, which he says there is something go. like 15 or really, 18. Now I got production This value. is the calendar. This is the calendar here. Hobigger says the, the, the Earth gets its moon around 15,000 years ago. That's right. When this calendar was created. So he postulates that before the moons existed, there were different littler moons and they all caused global catastrophes when they landed on the planet. During the moonless period when there were no moons, which he estimates 138,000 years of time is this moonless period, giant kings ruled over the Earth until about the current moon's capture of 14,000 years ago, which supposedly in itself triggers the global cataclysm known as the Ice Age. So there's a couple of guys that you need to know. There's also Edmund Kiss. He was a follower of Hobigger. He focuses on the object that you're looking on directly. So this is that thing that's 27,000 years it was old. The, the world ice theory is what his, his overall theory was. The world ice theory. Uh -huh. it, the whole planet gets iced out, but it's the ice age. That's, it's exactly the same time period. It's that 14,000 year ago mark. And then you get to down to 11,000 years and you have the big biblical flood. Did it you know lines up. that Horbinger received his vision of the universe? And he his ice theory, his theory is related to the idea that ice is the basic substance of all cosmic processes and ice moons, ice planets, and something called global ether, which, by the way, is also made of ice, had determined the entire development of the universe. Uh, but yes, and it says he did not arrive at his ideas through research. No, he arrived at his ideas by receiving a vision in 1894, and he later published a book about the theory that he received in the vision in 1912, which now that same theory that came from Horbinger's vision about ice is being connected to Von Daniken's own theories about ancient aliens. Boom. So, and it even goes deeper than that. Now, I, I could go off on a rabbit trail about this, but I'm going to try not to. You his may. ice planet theory... His ice planet. So there was a guy whose name was, I think it was like Bachman or so. I don't remember. He's the guy who came up with the theory of entropy. 
Uh, it's the it's one of the laws of thermodynamics. Basically, it led to all these theories about how everything is getting colder, and eventually entropy will burn out all the residual energy and heat in the Earth as things get further and further separated apart. This is a calling. By the way, he's not. After he puts this theory out, everybody has a thought on it. Blavatsky talks about it when she says that the human soul comes from the cold, goes back into the cold. This guy talks about. They're all talking about the cold. It all ties into this early theosophic view on the evolution of the universe. These guys talk about it too, but it is. It's only semi-related to the development of the moonless era and the kings, but it. But it is in there. It's all in there. What's important is. The giants who come from the land of the cold, this is basically every theory on giants that you can find, all says that they came from space or they came from the cold. You see it in, in Norse mythology. There's a cow that I all mean, the just, humans came from. You just can't from. picture giants hang, hanging out on like Miami Beach. You know, it's just way too no. hot if you're a giant. Small you're going to be guys, somewhere cold. Small guys hang out in hot areas and large guys hang out in cold areas. This is basic. He goes through all of the various theories of giants roaming the earth. You've got mentions of giants everywhere in the Bible. Genesis, Deuteronomy, Samuel, Chronicles, characters like Goliath and Og, the king of Bashan, you know Og. There's also in all kinds of uh, different uh, Greek texts. You have uh, the Argonautica, which the movie Jason and the Argonauts is based on, 1963. Watch that movie. It's got the greatest CGI ever of all time. Also, the Odyssey, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Then you got the Book of Enoch, the Popol Vuh, which, which uh, is the Von Mayan. Anakin also does reference the Book of Enoch uh, quite a bit in the, the early chapters. A lot. Well. Yep. Yes, because that's what they all, this is, again, he probably pioneered referencing the Book of Enoch, actually. Probably. that's where they get all their alien because stuff that, from. Some of that stuff was only found, I think, with the Dead Sea Scrolls, like in, in the, Dead somewhere sea in the scrolls, 1900s, yep. right? Yeah, so this is, it's relatively new in, in terms of when he was writing the, his original books, not these books. Right. And so... There's also, uh, are you, uh, what is it called? The Akashic Record. Yes. Dude, that's where Hobinger got his knowledge of the moons is from the Akashic Record, which isn't a, it's not a book. It's just a source of knowledge. <laughs> I want to look that up um, on Amazon. How much is the Akashic Record on Amazon? See, <laughs> Greg, $40. Yeah, the, the idea of the Akashic Record is, is one that's kind of been, um, you know, it's been in a lot of different sort of esoteric uh, religions and philosophies and whatnot, but it's basically the same idea that would that explains... If you believe in this sort of thing, uh, any sort of vision or um, knowledge of the universal knowledge that people can gain through visions and through insights or what have you, gain, not gained through research, but gained through direct downloading of the knowledge and where that knowledge comes from is the Akashic Record, which essentially contains all the knowledge of everything that's ever happened in the universe. And in theory, if we think about um, angels and spiritual beings and this sort of thing, the idea is that they have access, they have instant download basically to this information. So yeah, a spirit, a demon, what have you, they can come to you and they can present you information about any fucking thing because they have the, the access to the Akashic Record and the idea of some of these people that get information from visions, That's it's basically the same idea, some of it perhaps directed by other, you know, other types of entities or whatnot, who knows, but that the, it's the same idea that they're getting that information. They're not learning it. They're, they're downloading it essentially. So there's all of these theories about these intelligent giants in every religion that you can imagine. He interprets it, as you said, in many different ways, 
calls on the Book of Baruch, which specifies the number of giants on the planet. Pretty interesting. Then there's also hard evidence. Yeah, there he is. There's hard evidence of giants. And thank you so much for pulling this image up. Because if you'll notice, he's carrying two extremely large hand axes. This is key for his research. The hand axes that have been discovered. First of all, those hand axes that he's holding right there. This is, this is in southern Mexico and Central America. It's these, these structures are found. There we go. We can even zoom in. In Syria. That's great. Look at, yeah, going a little further, even you can see his little feet. Like these are, these are the, uh, let's hold on. Those are the axes. Right, this, and then his hand so is like So those right are here. the axes. Hands right here. Axes of unusually large size have been found in Syria and Morocco. It's the same sized axes. They found axe heads in Nice, France, weighing nine pounds. Axe heads, nine pounds. The head, just the head. Some of them were 14 inches long and weighed 11 pounds in eastern Morocco. They found them. Giant axe heads. Why did they find giant axe heads? Because there were giants who used them to chop stuff down. That's his theory. That's what he says. They found the giant axes because there were giants who needed to chop stuff down. So they needed axes that were for oversized people. And so for the uh, giant trees that were also around back then. The giant trees. And actually, you're absolutely right about that. I know. I'm not joking in any way. I'm a big giant tree theorist. Giant trees. And so there's a a guy named Sorat, Denis Sorat. He's a French guy, if you couldn't tell. He He has been doing research and he has found oversized humans in Germany, Tanzania, or Tanzania, in Java. They even found creatures known as the Megalanthropus Africanus, which basically translates to the huge black guy, and the <laughs> Megathropicus Paleovanicus, which translates to the huge white guy. So they have found both of these giant guys, and that's, lit. by the way, literal translation. Yeah. Literal translation. The giants that prehistory are all over the place. The first one that they found in 1936 was a German anthropologist. His name was Cohn Larsen, and they found it in Lake Ayasi, I feel Tanzania. like you're accessing the Acacia record with all this with all this knowledge you Dude, have. Is they this your notes? found these are well, my notes are very they my notes contain within them the truth. Yeah, my notes contain within them the truth. They have found humans and dinosaurs living together 90 million years ago. They found things from 90 million years ago that indicate that humans and dinosaurs were living together. So it blows up the whole theory about the 15,000-year-old moon. Basically blows the whole theory up. We're talking about something much older. Even though the the notion of the climatic catastrophes, it's possible. It cannot possibly be attributed to the moon. So there's got to be something else that's causing the giant global cataclysms that we're seeing. He barely touches back on this in the next chapter. But by the way, that was chapter one. (laughs) So that's how he opens. And we're at 45 minutes. We did a little of chapter three, and we and look at that structure. It's gorgeous. That structure is unlike anything near it, other than things exactly like it. It's wild, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, and there, yeah, there's, I mean, this is way more impressive than Stonehenge. If you if you look at like all the, uh, so I, was, I said, well, I mean, because you, you can't the, really, the, you can't see the scale of it. So many of them. It is way bigger. 
than Stonehenge. Let's see if we can. It's see, like, way yeah, bigger than Stonehenge, and prehistoric Mesoamerican people were like four foot five. Generally, they were very small, strong folk, but not very large. So it's even more impressive than the slightly taller people in Ireland who also did the Stonehenge thing. Oh, except that was made by giants too, because giants were the ones who put these things down. That's his theory. But I just want to state in the middle of this, I don't believe anything coming out of my mouth right now, but I'm just trying to give Von Daniken the proper uh, uh, exposition. I think you present his theories better than he presents his theories because he he doesn't do his, he kind of like, he, he, like you said, this is just chapter one, and he kind of his whole the whole basis of his book is about the Mayan calendar, but it's almost just like sort of a part of a chapter. It's not really the he comes back to it, but he doesn't come back to it in this really satisfying conclusion of a way. He just kind of lets it dangle, and he's like, "Well, there's a bunch of different there's calendars. There's a bunch of calendars. I don't know something's going on, but there, but but he does show that the calendars are all right, and it's like one of these. Uh, but they, it kind of reminds me of like these gematria things. Have you ever seen these gematria things where they're like, "Oh, you take this yes. word and then you put it in the thing, and then but if you don't like it, it's like, don't worry, we probably, you just gotta use the other the other the other code. And if you use that one, then you oh, that's the one, that's the one you use. But there's like forty right. of them in these gematria code things, and they always they'll use things where they take it from seven different codes because that's what they had to do to get the end message that they wanted to get from the gematria. Yes. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. I'm not saying it's the same, mm-hmm, but it reminded mm-hmm. me of something along those lines. Like, yeah, I guess if you have 15 uh, well, different ways to look at the calendar, then you combine them all together, you might find it being right at some point. So the, the whole point about the cold stuff, everything is cold, is the idea that God is a manifestation of the cosmos. This is how he opens up the second subchapter of chapter one. God as universe is a theory that we've ever a lot of people are familiar with. He connects it to black hole theory and the proliferation of what are known as baby universes. So this idea of cosmic birth and rebirth through black holes, this is what establishes the calendar. This is what establishes the Mayan religion. And it promotes the idea that the universe is a place that is full of different life, cosmic life. So, Basically, Von Daniken says Horbiger, I think it was calling him Hobiger. It's actually Horbiger, by the way. Horbiger Horbiger has this idea of cosmic life forms and global catastrophes and giants. And and he explains everything that I just explained to you. and, and And this is what he says. Horbiger came up with the idea that the universe is a form of cosmic life, and that was considered crazy talk back then. Is that megalomania, or did it have something to do with the past? That's what he writes, and that's his conclusion to the section. So he basically... have You've watched Ancient Aliens, right? Where they go, these structures were put here 14,000 years ago. Was it levers and pulleys, or is there something more interesting going on? And then you cut to commercial. That's the way he writes. That's exactly I, how he, he's writing scripts for Ancient Aliens, it, right? He's this, posing but questions, is, did, but never did necessarily... Did he write the scripts right, for yeah. that show? They're certainly based on his his manner of writing, because it's like, present present strange thing. Uh, pre- say why we don't know exactly how it was done. Present strange theory. Pose question. 
end of end, <laughs> and go to commercial. <laughs> we come back and we'll do it all again. And he he does. It is outrageous. A, I don't know if you caught this part in the. Um, I don't know if you read like the entire forward or his intro, but he talks about how he is personally acquainted. This is what first caught my sort of perked my ears about Van Daniken himself. Um, he says. Uh, I am personally acquainted with several of the men who worked on the NASA moon program, starting mm. with Werner, Werner von Braun, Herman oh. Obeth, Willie Lay, Harry, I don't know any of these guys, Ernst Sullinger, whatever. The point is, I'm personally mm. acquainted with the moon program people, including renowned, I don't know if he's renowned, <laughs> renowned Nazi, renowned scientist, uh, Werner von Braun, uh, the man okay. pretty much who is the, was brought over from Nazi Germany as part of Operation Paperclip and essentially was, okay. was brought into create NASA, worked with Jack Parsons, very connected to the occult. And I thought it was so interesting that, that um, Don Daniken was is so closely associating himself with characters that have, that always just tend to come up in these conversations. Let's just put it yeah, that way. Yes. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I missed that part. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Very strange. I don't know what he's trying to say, dude. I, I have to be honest. We, we've barely gotten into the book itself. And the truth is, it's all the stuff you've heard before. Again, chapter one is entirely about the, the giant aliens the stone architecture and the advancedness of it, all of the attempted suppression uh, by archaeologists, mm -hmm. and finally, the, the discoveries that we found in recent uh, eras, including Puma Punku, among others, being like the new hope. He then goes into chapter two, which I just explained to you, is basically about artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. Only the he third doesn't know chapter, it, right? The third chapter is all about chimeras, and genetic experimentation. The fourth chapter is all about the Mayan calendar and predicting the return of the gods, which ties back into chapter two, kind of, except he doesn't make the connection. And the final chapter, I didn't even get to, the final chapter is just a wrap-up. I, I, I looked at it really quick. There is nothing new it's in the final chapter. It's just I needed to, they new. said I had to do 30 more pages. So Yes, and so you, you leave the book going... I already knew all of this. I knew every one of these things. And the problem is, in my opinion, Von Daniken doesn't even have the courtesy of tying the various thoughts together. He just introduces four different subjects in the ancient alien space, but he doesn't give you a reason to believe why one you know, I mean, he, he presents contradicting the theories too. He's, he just says That's like, true too. he talks about the moon theory and all that stuff and dedicates so much time to the world ice theory only to pretty much later present stuff that says it couldn't have really happened that way. So I, yeah, just I, I was kind of distracted up. by the whole world ice theory and it seemed to be a large part of the book for having kind of nothing to do with it. I mean, it, it sort of has to do with this sort of hidden history of the world and everything. But I, I just thought that was, a, it seemed like a very strange tangent to spend so much time on that. In that yeah, first chapter. I, it really perplexing, but I feel like I don't know, man. It it even the problem with the book is even I've read more compelling alien theories than the guy who kind of pioneered the alien theory thing. Mm -hmm. At least the ancient alien theory thing. I think Von um, Daniken, rightfully, I suppose, uh gets credit for mainstreaming this idea for popularizing it for okay, yeah, creating maybe. cherry to the gods. Um, but just like 
For example, I, you might say I perhaps rightfully get credit for, uh, should get credit for uh, starting the ball rolling for the libertarian podcast world. But <laughs> by no means would anyone call me the best in the history of libertarian podcasters. Maybe somebody, maybe oh. some would. I don't, I, don't <laughs> I don't know if this is the right analogy. Maybe they would. Maybe they would. <laughs> You may also be the pioneer the of the cryptid libertarian. The Eric Von Daniken. Space. I might. I would like to be a pioneer in, in all these things. Um, I, I really did, like you said. I, I really love this stuff about the Chimeras because there was a one one thing that caught my eye in there too. That they were talking about this guy who. Um, found all these sarcophaguses with these. Now, this to me is not necessarily, I, it's the jump to conclusion thing that is that plagues the entire ancient aliens theorem is that, yes, interesting, crazy things we don't understand necessarily how they were done, other interesting theories, and then it's just like, smash it together on, on your own time. Like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna show you how they are definitely connect. We're just gonna tell you, people think this stuff, and we found this stuff, uh, and that, that's kind of the same thing here, though. They, they, there's this part where they're talking about um, they found the sarcophagus with these bandaged uh, bulls, these bulls, um, and they said it seems to be just one single bull, but they found the bones of seven. This is in the, in the Chimera part. We found the bones of yeah. seven animals, including one huge old bull. So they concluded that a third animal had to have two skulls. Now I don't know. This is just what they find from finding <laughs> a bunch of bones. Like they could have just not brought the other bones in. Like, I don't. I don't think just because you have too many sure. skulls for bones means that. Necessarily Necessarily means that the bull had two skulls, but I do, I do get a kick out of some of the some of these sort of just connections that they want us to make because they say two. He just says like two skulls. What do you think that means, everybody? I'm like, it could mean a be yes. One in interpretation is they created something with two skulls. Another one is that there's just two skulls down there. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. So here's what I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. This is my review of the book. Okay in terms of trying to be fair about what is presented, I feel that Von Daniken mostly keeps to the subject of the Mayan civilization, but there's a, but there's a lot about the Incan civilization and Pumapunku and the, and the art. So this is more about Mesoamerican and South American civilizations, and that's what the subject of this book is about. And he does mostly a good job of presenting the factoids that make those civilizations more interesting than a lot of people give them credit for being. But he doesn't in any way, in my opinion, demonstrate that anything that he's saying about extraterrestrials is true. Right. He, right. So here's the, the pluses. And the, it's, so like, the, it's like Graham Hancock stuff, except Graham Hancock doesn't say it must have been aliens. He presents his own kind of theories too, but he actually has evidence for that stuff and, and kind of shows and you the I way. Think his right. theories are far more compelling. I'm much more compelled by the Atlantis idea totally. and, the, and the prior human civilizations than I am in as any way about aliens, aliens coming the from the thing sky. I could think of, but now ancient yeah, yeah. smarter humans is way more fascinating. <laughs> way more interesting to me and there's more evidence that Atlantis was a real place with a real human population when we get to the point where nautical archaeology is really 
able to investigate that place, we are going to find something there of interest where these stories came from. It may not have been a... Actually, in the original, by the way, in the original Atlantis theory, I read a book all about Atlantis. The original Atlantis theory doesn't even claim that they're particularly more advanced than us, just that they were healthier, just that they had some pretty good innovations in terms of animal husbandry and in terms of agriculture, and that they they were very strong people physically in, in that they, they, they pr didn't practice any metallurgy and they, they could only be harmed by metal objects. So there's a little bit of a mythology there, but all that it's it basically like a, says is that they were- like a werewolf twist to them or then what they can only yeah. be harmed by metal. Wow. They, yeah, they can only be harmed by metal objects. So they, they mostly were going to war with like sticks and stuff. So they couldn't really kill one another. It's, it's like elves, basically. Mm. It's more like a civilization of extremely powerful humans. This is more compelling to me than giants from another solar system come down and they build a bunch of structures and then they kind of like disappear and leave. But back to the thesis of the book or whatever, the, the, the merits of the book. First of all, I think it is really compelling to take a look at some of the, the craftsmanship on the stones. Again, I don't know anything about stones, but I do know that when people are presented with this information who are of some standing in, in, in those spheres, they are impressed by the craftsmanship. And so I am similarly impressed. Fair enough. Also, that the universe is a living organism. The suggestion there is some theological, whatever, boring, I don't care about that part. The idea of catastrophism, I think, is something that isn't given nearly enough uh, credit uh, up until like five years ago when the Joe Rogan experience is, is really started putting these guys on to finally talk about this stuff in a platform that people respected. So that's pretty good. Furthermore, those stones are really fucking big. It's really interesting how they got up there. I don't know how they got up there. Also, the chimeras... I don't know what's going on there. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know what's going on there. I have my theory about it being something to do with AI controlling the world, and it's an apocalyptic prediction. I don't even think he thinks that, so half point on that. There is a compelling part in the Chimera section that I, I highlighted that I want to point out. And he says, he actually says, evidence of Chimeras in the dim and distant past would be indis indisputable, he says, would be indisputable evidence of alien intervention. He says that would be indisputable. Uh, to me, yeah. that's like a, another a, a big example of just you have your theory, you say this thing, and then you say if that's true, my theory is correct without showing us why. But he does provide why he provides a, a paragraph of explanation. So I'm just going to read this to you. He says because our sure. our forefathers all those thousands of years ago didn't have a clue about genetics. How do you how, how do you know? Because the ancient texts and the illustrations tell us so. And because the ETs had a bizarre, he's assuming he's assuming ETs in his explanation for why ETs. He says because the ETs yeah. had a compelling compelling motive for doing it, the creation of specially adapted life forms for other planets. And this is where I really I, I wouldn't have I don't have any problem with with theorizing about wildly. I love wild theorization about whatever. Yeah. My problem is when von Daniken. I mean, he says something like indispute. This would be indisputable if you find if we find a chimera, then that proves aliens. No, it proves a chimera. It proves a crazy thing that doesn't necessarily get a, have any connection to your other theory that you have here. And you're not really presenting a reason why. So in his okay, reason why I'm he's saying this. because the ETs, uh, you know, I think it's so at the end of the chapter. Okay, yeah. so here's it's the so last here's the paragraph. thing. Yeah. This is where the connection... Okay, now I'm starting to... Maybe there is more to this book than I thought because as you just explained that, in my head I went, oh, wait, the invisible cord. He construct. He does construct these connections he never talks about. If you'll recall in the same chapter in chapter two, which is the chapter I went balls deep on chapter two, the whole point about 
chimeras being evidence for extraterrestrial beings is actually set up. And again, he never explains this explicitly. He expects you to hear into his mind and, and hear what triggered one thought coming after the next thought. But the first thought that he has is, isn't it interesting that there's all of these entities across various mythological uh, uh, and religious uh, um, corpuses that talk about monstrous beings and how they were created and they came down from the heavens. So he's got a couple of presuppositions that the heavens are the cosmos. He's got another mm -hmm. presupposition that the creatures were physical things because they're attested to as physical things in all the various mythologies. That's pretty solid, fine. That is what he, he goes and then says, if we did find evidence of one of these chimeras, it would be clear that it was extraterrestrials because he's already set up in his own mind yeah. that all these mythologies are talking about how they came down from the cosmos, but they can't be gods because they're physical. And he's so got must those built-in presuppositions into his explanation all for everything. Of them. And he's assuming we're with yes. him and all this along, along the way. Right. And, and for me, I do... And again, this is actually the point that we're uncovering. For me, the monstrous beings are really interesting. I do find yeah. them really interesting. If we did find evidence of them, it would definitely tell us something. Right. But I'm definitely not willing to say... That they're just alien, like aliens. Right. Maybe they came from inside the Earth. Maybe they're maybe they were before humans on it. I have no clue. I don't know anything I about it. I can think it. of fifty-seven different th theoretical explanations right. for chimeras. All of them are. That, I don't know if they're all more interesting than aliens, but they're at least as interesting as aliens. Because right at this at point, aliens isn't interesting. even interesting anymore. Because it's just what we get for everything from these guys. Right. Right. Ancient aliens, Mark, by the way, yes. you got, that's what's Apologies. key is not just aliens, but they have to be giant and ancient and they have to be Arabic. That's usually <laughs> the three characteristics is that they're always got those, those like Sumerian beards and they are gigantic and super oh. tall and they carry bags. Hold on a them. second. Giant, ancient, questionable, Arab is, are we just talking about little Amal here? <laughs> Did you I mean, know we had multiple listeners have now attended Little Amal of I did. I, I heard that today. And I, I do, <laughs> do want to bring this up as, as among, among many things, Timeline Earth is also the world's foremost Little Amal tracking podcast. Maybe just you'll do a, a 30 yeah. seconds on what is Little Amal for people that don't follow her oh, all the time. Oh, man. But also, uh, I, see, I see a connection here because as we see in a lot of modern times, there is a lot of this Nephilim giant uh, imagery worship <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> And what yeah. what is little Amal, Amal if not a giant yeah. a giant Nephilim? I mean, a gi one of yeah. these ancient giants that Von D refers to. <laughs> Did you see the image of the guy inside of her? Did yeah, you I see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even more. That's not disturbing at all. It's so odd. The guy inside. You and talk about it, and I'm gonna wheel? I'm gonna pull up little Amal just. For little Amal. All right. For those of you who don't know, little of my podcast has been tracking this uh, <laughs> the guy inside. <laughs> public event it's called like little amal's walk it's a it's a it's a effigy of a syrian migrant that is piloted by a white guy from england and and she goes around to various events and gatherings and she just is homeless that's the gimmick is she walks around homelessly at the events in order to connect with various communities and to express, and there she is, and there's the guy inside of her yeah, there he is. to express. <laughs> so this guy operates her from something. in there, I guess. 
And he's got a steering wheel, which I don't really know how the steering wheel works. Yeah, you really need wheels on it. I don't, yeah, I don't. I think I don't it's for the head, but I'm really not sure. See, this is kind of why I'm interested. So next week, we're going to get the listeners on who uh, w- went to attend the event. Because I, I, ha- I have like mechanical questions that I need answers to. Like, it seems like the hands are connected and puppeted by different people. But is there any reason so sure. you or I or anybody can't interview this guy that's inside Little Amal? He doesn't seem like he'd be, you know. Um. So this is like a climate change uh, thing, though, right? That's a like good question. That's, is that what she's going around? Uh, she's trying no, to tell everyone it's to, more like or to dead Syrian children or something like that, right? Is there there is a reason? Like a, it's a mi- more of a accept migrants kind of thing. Oh, okay. It's like a Arab migrants are coming oh, okay, from that yeah, part yeah, of the yeah, world yeah. to various countries. And she's here to show you how she's just a little girl, yeah, like yeah. all your little girls. She's just a giant, frightening little girl. It's a girl. Greta Thunberg experiment, kind of. The puppet is a symbol of, of human rights, especially those of refugees, according to organizers. Yeah. Her journeys are festivals of art and hope that draw attention to the huge numbers of children, the huge numbers of giant children fleeing war, violence, and persecution, <laughs> each with their own little man operating inside them. That's not the full quote. 88,000 BC. The Nephilim babies are being driven out. There's migrant Nephilim babies <laughs> everywhere. And they are building lots of calendars all over the planet. <laughs> little little Nephilim babies with their little, each with their own interpretation of the calendar. One of these is right. Unbelievable. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to seamlessly just do this and decide that we're already hopping in, we're hopping in the smoke-filled room at some point. This is... I'm going to let my Bobby, my editor, d- figure out where the show, where things maybe ended, where Maybe we can do like begin, a... You know? Maybe, hold on. Maybe we can do like a... Hi, everyone. That was the full episode of the Mark Clare Show. Please now go over to the Patreon to listen to the thing. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bird from Timeline Earth. Guess what? I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but we kept going. We kept rambling. We kept going on about our theories. We even dovetailed further into the concept of AI and birds' interesting thoughts about how it might tie into the machine elves that are often reported uh, during DMT, hallucinogenic experiences. We really go off in some wild directions. So if you enjoyed this main show, do yourself a favor, do yourself a solid, hear the full episode. Why are you depriving yourself of one third of the show? Because you get an extra 30 minutes every single week with the smoke-filled room bonus segment that you get by becoming a Mark Claire Show premium subscriber. You can do it on Patreon. You can do it on Subscribestar. You can do it on Rockfin, where you get to subscribe and get the bonus content of a bunch of other different creators, many of whom have been on the show, like Brad Binkley, Isaac Weisopt, Sam Tripoli, Jay Dyer, Monica Perez, Courtney Turner, just a ton of creators over there. Charlie Robinson on Rockfin. You get them all, all the bonus content for the price of one. I don't care how you support me. Even if you just watch the show, tell people about it, leave Apple reviews, five-star reviews on Apple. Those are very helpful. But... At least get yourself a sample. At least go get a taste on Subscribestar. If you go to Subscribestar, you search the Mark Claire Show, you can give a week, give yourself a week trial. So you can dive through the full edition of this show, at least this episode. If you enjoyed it, I recommend doing that. And I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy the content on all of these episodes. Go check it out. MarkClaire.com gives you all of the links you could possibly need to support and find this show anywhere and everywhere. That's MarkClaire, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. 